0: Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramus, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. Now, in the series, we are discussing Dutch Sheets' book, Intercessory Prayer, and we are going to skip one chapter, which is chapter nine, which is on spiritual warfare. And we're not skipping it because it's not important, but we spent an entire year on that topic recently. So if you want to find the playlist, there was the spiritual warfare episodes that had 34 And then also The Dishonoring of God in Popular Spiritual Warfare Teachings, which was 18 episodes where we discussed a lot of what was in Chapter 9 of this book as far as authority that was supposedly fumbled away and has to be recovered by the church. So rather than spending more time on that, if you want to go back and listen to those if you missed them, that's a good way to catch up. We are going to move on to Chapter 10 of the book, which he has titled Most High Man. Now, do you just want to give us a little preview of where he's going with this chapter?
1: Most of the chapter is based on his uh, unusual exegesis of 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, Okay. which we'll talk about. The essence of it is people are blinded by Satan And there's a certain process or technology, he doesn't use that term, but that's how I describe his view, Yes, that we need to figure out so that we can bind certain aspects of what's going on in someone else's life is causing them to reject the gospel. And if we do it right and we get the right revelations and make the right decrees and do the right binding, the person will become saved
0: when we were discussing spiritual warfare in the past one of the things that you brought up is that the true armor of god is the gospel and the preaching of the gospel is really what true spiritual warfare is and it's not about binding satan and casting out demons it's about transferring people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of christ through the preaching of the gospel. Right. And as you've said many times lately, that's about relationship, not spiritual techniques.
1: Very much so. And the passages in Ephesians, I preached through that a few years ago. You can find it on our church website, ggf.church. Yes. And the different books I preached through, some of them are on there, including Ephesians. You can look that up. Popular teaching tends to take something that's relational. Either you know Christ and you're trusting him, or you're lost and alienated from God, and turn them into the details of some sort of a spiritual technology. That's what I call it. Right. And so you need to know what demon's doing what, what bondage is part of this person's life rather than that person's life. And we've shown many times from all the New Testaments that there's a big global thing going on that either, you know, God by faith or not. Right. So the whole person's involved, not little divided up aspects of a person. The same thing goes with the kingdom of darkness. We don't need to know the details of Satan's kingdom in order to deal with being delivered from it. So again, they use occultism to fight the occult, which is bizarre.
0: Right. And and that kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week with both Simon Magus and the sons of Skiva. Right.
1: He wanted the technology. Right. He wanted secret words. He wanted to know how to do it so he can put it in his act. And yes. The gospel says such that only God can deliver us from sin through Christ, the Messiah. And he does so removing the whole person from the sphere of darkness and alienation and sin and death and facing judgment and transfers the whole person who believes the gospel into the kingdom of his beloved son, where now we are in light, the light of God in the truth, and we have eternal hope, and our sins are forgiven. It's relational, it's global, it's not technological, and based on unique little details.
0: Right, and those unique little details boil down to occult knowledge, which is forbidden.
1: Yeah, in, in most cases, and I've read dozens and dozens of books, over the last 40 years, and doing research and writing about this, in, in almost every case, these details are gained through special revelations and taking different terms in the Bible and twisting them to support this occult understanding. Yes. Like the word, word of knowledge becomes getting secret information about what curse is on what person and how it got there and finding the special utterance to make to break the curse. Okay. That's occultism. That's yes. not biblical Christianity. Right. And the truth is broad and it involves either knowing God through Christ and having a relationship or not. Right. So the great thing about that is you're not at the mercy of some creature who knows something you don't know. Exactly. Unless you have a preacher who refuses to tell you the terms of the gospel.
0: Okay. So where he's going with this chapter, and its I think it's important to note here, Dutch Sheets himself says this is perhaps the most important chapter in the book. Okay. So if the author says it's important, it's important.
1: It's important to his theology, right?
0: Yes, that's a good clarification. And he starts out this chapter discussing Second Corinthians four, three, and four. Do you mm-hmm. want to read that for us, and then we'll. Yeah, I'll discuss read it. And I'll this. read his
1: intro to it.
0: Sounds good.
1: He says this: the Bible says there is a veil that keeps unbelievers from clearly seeing the gospel. And then, citing two Corinthians. Four, three through four. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Okay. Now, what I did after reading this chapter again, I went and spent several hours going back over Second Corinthians, which I taught through probably 20 years ago or 15 years ago. Okay. And went through chapter 3, what's the veil about, what's the glory of God about, what topic has Paul been talking about, what's the context, and turns out none of it has to do with anything Dust Sheets is talking about.
0: All right. Well, let's get that context clear then. Okay. Okay.
1: (laughs) It'll change everything, frankly. And uh, I'm hoping as we go through this, our listeners are gaining more than just the idea that some of these teachings that are popular, not only with sheets, but many other teachers are wrong. But the ability to look at the context and read the Bible for what it says. Yes. It's far more simple than looking at little details that somebody figured out and and puts their own meaning into. Okay. So what would it be to have the gospel veiled? Right. Well, let's look at the immediate context, which is 2 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. And then we'll go back and see what the veil's all about. Okay. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, Paul says, we don't lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, Paul clearly proclaimed the truth of the gospel not out of bad motives, not out of manipulating Scripture, but laying out the terms of the New Covenant, which comes up in chapter 3, and people can hear it and understand it. And if they respond in faith, they'll be saved. Right. So it had to do with the motives of the preacher. Yes. Okay. Okay. So what God's unveiled in Christ shouldn't be veiled by people failing to p- clearly proclaim the truth.
0: That's a very important distinction, and it's not one you'd find reading this chapter of this book.
1: Oh, he doesn't even talk about it. So, uh, dear ones, always read the context. It's not that hard to just go back and read chapter 3. Right. And verses 1 and 2 here. But he immediately goes into a concordance and finds possible meanings of certain little words in a verse without ever having even looked at the context. So the point is motives, the clarity of the gospel, and the freedom we have in Christ. Okay. Now, let's go back to the idea of the veil. What's the veil in the hidden things because of shame? The veil for those who are perishing. That she says a certain... Particular strongholds Satan has in certain sinners' lives that can be gained information about. We can gain information about through revelations from God. We pray for
0: right, this. and he says here. So, and he's discussing this veil. Uh, we have a part to play in lifting the veil off the mind of the unbeliever. Well, yes, it's preaching the gospel, but that's not where he's going with this. He goes on a little farther down to say, strongholds are not demons. They are places from which demons rule. Now, that's a completely different topic even than what Paul was talking about.
1: Okay, let's just get this all clear. I'm hoping you don't want to go to a church where you get that sort of exegesis, which is not just reading your own ideas into the bible people need clear teaching of the word of god without odd add-ons and refusal to go into the context so we need to at least get your bible and read the context and if the preachers keep going to some weird place has nothing to do with the text you're not actually going to church you're just going to a business seminar or a Spiritual seminar. Okay. The Word of God needs to be taught. We don't fellowship around bizarre ideas, but around the Scriptures.
0: Right. And that is a really good test of things. Are are you somewhere where they are preaching verse by verse and explaining the text in the context, or are they hopping around cherry-picking verses here and there and building a theology that way?
1: Which is more typical, but... Back to Ephesians, we're supposed to be equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, not creating a situation where you have to learn some odd occult ability to get special revelations to do things the Bible's not even talking about. Right. Well, let's just show that right here. This is a case in point. Let me just read some text and to just show you, in this case, what the veil's about. Okay? All right. 2 Corinthians 3, 12. Therefore, having such hope, we use great boldness in our speech. And we are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. In other words, the Old Testament glory. Verse 14, but their minds were hardened. For until this very day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, Because it's removed in Christ. So the veil is an allusion to the veil that Moses had over his face when hard-hearted Israel, who had been taken out of Egypt, who were at the foot of Sinai, couldn't handle the glory of Moses speaking to God. Right. Okay, so the veil is talking about the old covenant. The removal of the veil is when... Is under the new covenant, when everyone who is born of God knows the Lord, it is unveiled. Okay. Okay. And, and so it has to do with the difference between the old and new covenant between Moses and Christ.
2: Okay. okay. So
1: mm-hmm. the veil is people reading Moses, but not knowing anything about Christ.
0: Right. Now and that so, makes me think of, of, the Ethiopian eunuch, too.
1: Right. Or, yes. Or the people at Pentecost. Okay. Okay. Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Yes. It doesn't say whenever somebody buys the demon, keeping the person from turning to the Lord. Right. It doesn't say anything like what he's talking about and how this gets into a book and keeps being sold all these years later. Unbelievable. All right. It just shows the biblical ignorance of evangelicals that they would be taken in by this. Now, verse 17, 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord to Spirit. Now I did... Much more study on this, but this is enough to show there's an allusion to Sinai, Moses. Exodus 34 34 is alluded to here. Moses would take the veil off when he talked to the Lord face to face, put it on when he talked to the people. Okay. Who even stand to see the reflected glory. Yes. So under the new covenant, everyone who believes the gospel is. Uh, their sins are forgiven. They're filled with the Spirit. They're part of the new covenant family of God. And then Paul takes this term veil and uses it in a different way to imply that preachers with bad motives who adulterate the word of God and aren't clear about what they're preaching could easily be veiling what by nature, needs to be unveiled. Right. The clarity of the gospel and who Christ is and what he did and so on. And so Paul takes that and says, we're, we've received mercy, and we're not veiling things. We're laying it right out there. Yes. Now, the false teachers the Corinthians were enamored with weren't like that. Okay. And we talked about that in some of our previous episodes about Paul's fool speech. Right. In 2 Corinthians 11, they'll listen to the false teachers, but they wouldn't listen to him. Okay. So somebody comes along. We still live in a fallen world. We're still not perfected until the eschaton, the future, the resurrection. And because of that, we have unsaved friends and family. We have difficulties in this world. Someone will come along with a better way to solve all these problems right here and now okay, and they'll accuse you of being a rather pathetic Christian because you don't know the secret,
0: right. And we do hear that they they're still making those same claims. oh, constantly, mm-hmm. based
1: on the the most uh popular logic excuse me, the most popular um informal logical fallacy there is, which is a given testimonial of a few people. That's supposed to prove that something will work universally for everyone.
2: Okay. And, that's and we see story. that all the time.
1: Yeah. They, almost every TV commercial does that. Okay. They, they, somebody said, I spent so much money or I gave it to this. And now this happened to me. Look at me. It worked. Right. Totally illogical. Yep. We're not saying it didn't work for that person, but what about the 10,000 other people that bought it? Right. Here, back to this thing. Now... What Paul is saying in verse 3, if it's veil, is veil to those who are perishing. The veil is the fact that the sinner is in darkness, alienated from God, and living under sin and darkness and bondage. Right. Okay, that's the veil in this case. Okay. Not the fact that the preacher wouldn't tell them the truth about the gospel or has bad motives or is just trying to get their money, or trying to get them to join something. Okay. So, Paul is not like the false teachers who were influencing the Corinthians. Right. Now, who are those who the God of this world blinds the minds of the unbelieving? Well, it's every unbeliever. Right. The unconverted. Yes. So, they may not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. So what's, the, what's Paul's uh, solution to that? Preach it, the gospel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ, our Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Right. Paul was the Lord's doula, slave. Yes. Not serving himself. God is the one who has shown his light in the hearts of those who believe. So the the one who was shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Christ. Jesus. Now, in contrast to that, what is, does she do with all this?
0: Then he turns it around and and as we've said over and over, makes a spiritual technique out of it to tear down these supposed strongholds so that people can be saved. As if as if the preaching of the gospel is not enough.
1: Right. So Paul believed that on. Un- Veiled, meaning not mixed with bad motives or, you know, adulterated Word of God, not not a clear teaching of the Scripture, Mm -hmm. would bring past God's purpose of saving the lost. Not everyone's saved. That's never the case. Right. But those who will be. So what uh, Mr. Sheets does is he goes in with the lexicon, starts looking up the Word. The word veil means to hide or cover, calypsis, then apocalypsis. And so then you go into the details, of range of meaning. But what really matters to us, that's all fine. But really what matters to us is what Paul means right here. Yes. And he just told you what it meant. Right. Go back and read chapter three. Okay. That would be too easy. Again, we talk about the range of meaning. You don't go into the details when you haven't even explained what's on the table and what the big issue is. Right. He jumps to details based on concordances and range of meaning without explaining the issue. Yes. Old covenant veiled, new covenant unveiled.
0: Right. And the reason some of us can see it and others can't is because we've been born again and they haven't.
1: Right. And uh, so then he says on page 179, we have a part to play in lifting the veil off the mind of the unbeliever. Right. And then he alludes to two Corinthians 10:4, and so on strongholds and what have you. Strongholds are not demons or places from which demons rule. So now we got to figure out strongholds and demons. Yes. Now we're going into the details. ...of the individual sinner, particularly, rather than how the Bible deals with it globally. Right. Everyone who's an unbeliever has the veil. Yes. And it's the fact that you haven't come to Christ and you're still living under darkness. And, and the only one who can actually remove the
0: veil... Of is god
1: well god they had moses veil his face so that people wouldn't die right and he had moses himself in the cleft of the rock you can go back and read the exodus narrative yes okay but jesus is the greater moses read luke chapter 9 moses and elijah are on the mount of transfiguration when jesus's glory is revealed and they disappear okay they were talking about Jesus's exodus, which he's about to accomplish. Yes. And his departure. He's going to ascend, going to die for sins, be raised on the third day, teach his disciples, and ascend into heaven, pour out the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. There's a lot here that's important. You certainly preach on it, but it's not particular to one certain sinner. Right. It's to everyone who's lost. Yes he's claiming they don't understand it let me just read this they don't understand it that is the gospel because they can't understand it now we have a category error here that's rather fundamental okay and paul addresses that in romans chapter 10. yes here's the category error it isn't that the claims of the gospel are designed for human beings to be able to understand. Right. Okay, we can. Yes, and Paul says that in Romans 10. Okay. And the point is, now uh, <clears throat> well, let me just read some of this, Romans 10, 6. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, verse 7, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved, that's verse 9. With the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. That's what conversion looks like. Okay. So for the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bonding and riches for all who call upon him. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The name of the Lord again who he is what he did why we need him the gospel how will they call on him whom they have not believed how will they believe in him whom they've not heard how will they hear without the preacher so this goes right to where we're here second corinthians chapter 4 okay the, the gospel cannot be veiled it has to be cleared clear the preacher has to be clear about the gospel right the inability no in theology, and I'll explain this, I think it's a valid point. Now, a lot of pop evangelicalism in America doesn't believe any of this, but let me explain it. We distinguish between moral inability and some called natural inability. Okay. okay. Let's
0: define those.
1: Okay, let me define a Moral inability is you can understand the terms of the gospel, because they are designed for human beings. They are explained in language, translated to languages we understand. Who God is, what he did, who, the sending of Christ, the virgin birth, the sinless life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension to heaven, coming again. There's wrath revealed against sin, Romans 1. That's all understandable. Yes. I know people that understand it very clearly and used to believe it. Now they're apostate. Right. Okay. So which
0: is sad, but we've all seen that happen.
1: Right. And so it is they're designed for humans. It isn't saying, uh, sprout wings and fly around the moon and come back without a spaceship. Right. Okay. It's designed for humans. It's not science fiction or something nobody could even talk about. Okay. It's clear enough. Yes. The problem is they mock it because they don't like it. Right. That's the moral aspect of, aspect. Yes. So the the clarity of the gospel is designed for all humans. Okay. And that's what Paul is saying. And so he's rejecting the idea says, well, who's going to do this for us? No. The word is very clear. I'm speaking to you. It's not veiled to Corinthians chapter four. Yes. So the lack of belief is due to darkness and sin, and a refusal to listen to God. Right. It shouldn't be veiled because the preacher refuses to tell you about it. Yes. I've confronted preachers who are like that. Okay. Including one who started a massive movement. Right. He loves it veiled. Yes. Because if you unveil it, as it should be, and lay it out there for what it is, most people won't listen to it because they don't like it, right? So, the purpose, jeff, and sensitive, whatever, wants it veiled. Yes, but it can't be veiled. It needs to be clear. That's the point,
0: right? That is what is what Paul is talking about, right? And that is not what Dutch Sheets is talking about.
1: No, they're two different things altogether. Yes. So, Paul is on a totally different page. And Dutch Sheets in, ends up on, right. citing Paul. He goes to the little detail of the Greek word veil and forgets to read the context. Yes. Now, that uh, is a major failure of interpreting Scripture that's inexcusable. Inexcusable. Yes. Anyone without even a theological education could read 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 and see what Paul means by the veil
0: yes and that's when i so this morning was the fourth time i've read this chapter and in both how we handled that and then later on second corinthians 10 i just thought well <laughs> either i've been reading this wrong my whole christian life or this is really bad yeah so but well, we, we have
1: moral inability just get that right the the gospel design for sinners yes Human beings born in sin, that's all of us. Right. And the transfer out of the realm of darkness happens at conversion, and it's global. It's not based on some unique detail to one sinner versus another.
0: Well, and we'll get to this next week, but interestingly, Dutch Sheets actually quotes that verse out of Acts 26 and gets it wrong.
1: He gets that totally wrong. I couldn't really right. believe he quoted it. Yep. If you just read the context, Acts twenty six eighteen, you would come to a totally different conclusion. Absolutely.
0: All right. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website, cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramus.
1: And Bob Dewey.
0: We'll see you next week.